It's a joy to be with you this evening and to be back in the Word of God one more time here at Boulevard. I did speak with Mike this afternoon for a while in preparation for next week's trip, and he told me to specifically send his greetings to you. So I pass those along, consider yourselves greeted by him, and he seems quite informed after his accident, and uh, they're, they're praying if it's the Lord's will that the car would actually be totaled, because then they can quickly replace it, but apparently in Jamaica... If it's not totaled, then it's a nice long process. So anyway, I know that they continue to appreciate your prayers. So I'll make sure that it's mentioned next week when I see him that you were praying for him. And I know it always encourages my heart when I know people are praying. So thank you for that. So we're going to be in the word of God in Exodus chapter one, Exodus one. And as you go there, that may be a clue for you concerning uh, what we're discussing. Since Exodus one doesn't have a plethora of stories in it, it's more a bit of a history lesson. But as you go there, I want to ask you a a simple question, and it's a question I'd rather you answer in your own mind rather than out loud. So just think about it. When you think about biblical characters that have impacted your life or biblical characters that you would put on a pedestal, so to speak, who would you think of immediately? Like, who would be those primary characters? And I don't know, you might have a few that come up in your mind. I certainly do. Uh, Then I could ask another question, and that question would be, If uh, you think through Christian history, church history, and specifically modern day, so two different categories. One, church history. So maybe like for me, I would think of of guys like a a George Mueller, or perhaps I would think of someone someone whose readings I I appreciated, uh, maybe a a St. John of the Cross, or you go back a, a lot like earlier in, in, in church history, and you have these different characters, you might say, okay, I benefited from something they said. But think about modern day. Think about people you know personally and think about who's impacted your life. And the thing about it is the criteria might change depending on who we are. But when we think back to biblical times, we tend to think of a certain group of names. And I think a lot of people fall through the cracks. And what we start to do is we start to put importance on certain ministries. For instance, people that speak from pulpits because they're seen. And in all reality, like if you look in the word of God, they're only subject to a greater judgment. But that being said, like who really are these faithful ones that God applauds? Because really, what does it have man's approval? It's not that big of a deal. It's pretty easy to have man's approval. Just do what man wants or say what man wants. But to have God's approval, that's another thing altogether. And so I want to share with you a story of a certain man named Edward Kimball. Now, perhaps you know who he is, but... The larger, perhaps, is that you don't know who he is. And Edward Kimball, he was a Sunday school teacher at a not very well-known church. And he was a faithful Sunday school teacher. And one day, a certain individual came into his class. Well, this guy obviously had not been in the Word of God much because in the Sunday school class, they were instructed to turn to the Gospel of John. Well, this guy couldn't find the Gospel of John. So, in a very discreet way, Edward just kind of helped him find it without anybody noticing that he didn't know where John was found in the word of God. Well, after that Sunday school class, uh, Edward was burdened for the soul of this man that had briefly appeared in his Sunday school class. And so he went to that man's place of work. In fact, uh, Edward Kimball said this. He said, I felt constrained to go call on this young guy and inquire about the condition of his soul. So he went to this guy. 
And he went to his place of work. And I have to read you this quote because he went to the guy's place of work and he literally started weeping over this man because he was so burdened for his soul. I mean, weeping over him. You know, that it's a bit of an awkward picture because how often do we go to someone we barely know and weep over their soul? But listen to the effect it had. The guy said this. He said, I recall, this is the, the, the man who couldn't find the gospel of John, right? He said, I recalled that my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop I was at work in. He put his hand on my shoulder and he talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt that I had a soul until then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here's a man who never saw me till lately and he is weeping over my sins and I never shed a tear for them myself. I don't remember what he said. I like that line. I don't remember what he said, but I can feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. It was not long after that I was brought into the kingdom of God. That man was Dwight L. Moody. Now, Dwight L. Moody, probably more recognized the name of, and Dwight L. Moody ended up preaching to thousands of people in his lifetime. And when he preached to thousands, there was one young man sitting in the audience one day named Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman gave his life to Christ because of the ministry of Dwight L. Moody. And Wilbur Chapman went on to preach to thousands of other people. Well, as Wilbur Chapman preached to thousands, there was a baseball player in the audience one day named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday gave his life to Christ because of the ministry of Wilbur Chapman. Well, Wilbur Chapman went on to preach to many others. And Wilbur Chapman one day preached to a very intellectual gentleman named Mordecai Ham. Now, Mordecai Ham, you may not know who he is, but he also was a preacher. And he was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina one day. And there was another young man who did not want to come out to hear Mordecai Ham because he did not want his soul convicted. But he came out anyway. And upon hearing Mordecai Ham's appeal for them to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, a young man named Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus Christ. The story goes on because perhaps even someone in this audience has been affected by Billy Graham. And as you can see, it all goes back to a Sunday school teacher that discreetly helped a man named Dwight find the gospel of John and then went and wept over his soul. Now, Edward Kimball is almost never talked about. But the fact is that he was faithful with what God gave him. And the reward is eternal. Have you read Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42, when Jesus Christ talks about rewards? What does he say about rewards? He says that he who gives a cup of cold water to a, to a disciple in my name will receive what? A disciple's reward. I truly believe that. I know it's like from high school musical, but we're all in this together in the sense that really what we do in faithfulness to the Lord impacts the whole body of Christ. And, and our reward, I don't think it's going to be that drastically different if we are found faithful. You might look at one brother or one sister and see much happening through their life. But what does the word of God say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6, 7, 8, 9, go on to 11. It says some plant, or literally it says, Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then it says, he who plants is worth a little bit. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says, he who plants is nothing. And he who waters is Nothing but God who gives the increase and he who plants and he who waters are one. So what do we have here? We have a body of Christ functioning 
And so tonight I want to look at a couple heroes of the faith, very little known. In fact, there's a great song uh, written quite a while back. Some of you might know it. And the song goes, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus name. Does the harvest field where you're called to labor seem so small and of little worth? It's great if God's in it. And see, that's the question. Where has God placed you? Now, I'm not saying that that you're like plugged exactly into where God would have you. That's not what I'm saying, because maybe he wants to take you out and put you elsewhere. That's possible. But what I do know is he wants you to be faithful in the calling in which you've been called today, because he has placed before you opportunities of eternal value. And we're going to see two characters here in Exodus chapter one who were going about their everyday life. And here's the thing. They were placed into a field where basically culture had discarded them. Faith life had discarded them. You'll see that in a second. And yet God allowed them to have their eyes open to see the possibilities before them. And that's what I long for for you. And I long that for me. And I'll tell you one thing. We can't look at one another and gauge the eternal effectiveness of what's going on. Because in God's economy, there's really two categories. Those that are faithful and those that are not. And that's why one day we pray that we will hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. When I was 16 years old, the first time I was ever given the opportunity to take the pulpit, that's the passage I preached on. 1 Corinthians 4.2. And I'll tell you, half a life later, nothing's changed as far as the heart goes. I still pray that I might be a steward found faithful. And this is the same for you. Let's look at Exodus chapter 1. We'll read verses 15 to 21. 15 to 21. And I want you to see two heroes, at least in God's eyes, that jump off the page. It says, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter... She shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Father in heaven, as we go to your word, we ask that for your blessing on this time. And Lord, I acknowledge again, this is your word and the power is of you. And so we pray that you would work in our lives and open our eyes to seeing the opportunities that are right before us now but opportunities that as we walk in obedience, you will lead us onward to even the fullness of what you've called us into. So, Lord, I pray if anything is said not of you, take it out of our minds. If it is of you, put it on our hearts so heavy that we must obey. And I pray at the end of at the end of the day. And when I say the end of the day, I mean that last chapter of our earthly life that we would hear from you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. And so we have the story that comes out here and we're going to look at a few different things that that, uh, appear in the passage. But as we look at it, let's start with something that's not in the passage. 
And, and I like to look at things that aren't in the passage. And the reason for that is a lot of times we find something very potent in here. Because if you look at chapter 1, there's another major character in chapter 1. And we didn't read the whole chapter, but we saw his name appear multiple times in the story. Who is it? Pharaoh. I get, went ahead and give you the answer, so nobody got it wrong, right? So Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the answer. But there were many pharaohs. And if we look at history itself, we can probably guess which pharaoh this was. But the fact of the matter is, it just says Pharaoh. And I, I think this is significant because as you look through the book of Exodus, Pharaoh is a major character. But if you notice, Pharaoh is not his proper name, is it? Pharaoh is merely a title. There were many pharaohs. We had a pharaoh back in Joseph's day. We had another pharaoh when Moses comes back to Egypt. Pharaoh, I, I, I lived in Egypt for many years and, and there's this incredible room in the Egyptian museum in downtown Cairo and you go in there and what do you see? You see coffin after coffin of these mummified pharaohs. In fact, I may have very possibly stared right into the eyes, the face of this very pharaoh that we're talking about here. It is an eerie thing. They still have their hair on and everything. That's how well preserved they are. But I'll tell you, that the word of God, for some reason, chose to say their name's not even significant. But whose names are significant? A couple little women. I don't know if they were little women in a physical sense, but they were little women in the eyes of the world. Shifra and Pua. And that is where the word of God draws our attention. So we're not going to focus on big Pharaoh on the throne. We're going to focus on these two women who are the birth stools of the Hebrew women. These women that had a job and their responsibility was simply to help deliver these babies. Well, as you can see, Pharaoh had a concern because uh, the children of Israel were gaining power. So the first thing I want you to see from Shipra and Pua is notice their focus on God. The first thing, their focus on God, because here's Pharaoh and he comes and he gives a command to them. He says, uh, if it's a son, kill him. If it's a daughter, let him live. But. What do they do? Very clearly here, it says in verse 17, but the midwives feared God. In other words, the first thing is notice where they kept their focus. They kept their focus on the one who's on the eternal throne. They didn't focus on the one who was making decrees here on earth. And see, this is what I, I sometimes wonder about us as followers of Jesus Christ. Like, are we listening to the lost or are we looking to the Lord? Because we can listen to the lost all day. We can listen to the threats happening in our world. We can listen to the, the fear, uh, whatever you want, fear mongers from Washington, D.C. We can listen to constantly the bombardment of the messages of, man, you can't go there because it's not safer here. Da, 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 all these different messages that are being blasted out for us. Are we going to listen to the world or are we going to look to the Lord? Because let me tell you, their messages are distinctly different. It's not at all the same. In fact, and, and please, I, I've even had this conversation with many of you and I don't say this in any judgmental way against our conversations. They were great conversations. But I have an issue with a certain mentality, and I've talked about it this weekend, I think earlier, I think especially on um, Saturday, but there's a mentality we have of, based off of where I work in the world, by the way, and where I work in the world is not as dangerous as Miami, just so you know, even if it is the Middle East, North Africa. I know we have Al-Qaeda and we've got Boko Haram and all, but we also don't have the murders like you guys have on the streets of Miami, just FYI. We just make the news because it sounds dramatic. 
But I get asked this question so frequently. Is it safe? Is it safe? Is it safe to be there? And, and I, I, I come back with a question saying, I get your question, but what does that have to do with anything in Scripture? On, on Friday night, um, I, I was over with the Fritchies and these guys at, in Homestead, and, uh, and we talked a little bit about it over there. And the thing about it is Jesus Christ actually promised the opposite. So if you're asking me, is it safe? And then I come out with yes, you can say, okay, um, maybe you should move on. I never hear that. But Jesus Christ told me, which I believe he's telling me the truth. He said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. A servant's not greater than his master. John 15 verses 18 to 20. Or how about when Paul's speaking to his son of the faith, Timothy, he says, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will, that's a promise, right? Will suffer persecution. You know, I've never had a holy huddle with Christians where like, hey, let's share our favorite Bible verse. Oh, I love, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Hallelujah. Oh, my favorite is anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Like that's never a favorite verse. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just not, it's not up there for us. But what I want you to see with these women is this was a death sentence to disobey Pharaoh. I mean, come on, he's mass murdering the boys, right? He's already put the Jews under, uh, under this incredible bondage and slavery. Like, let's not be naive. By them disobeying Pharaoh blatantly, this is clearly a death sentence. But they're not looking at Pharaoh. They're looking to the Lord. They're not looking at what the lost world is saying. They're looking to the Lord. And I, I love this. Now, an illustration I, I shared on Thursday, but I, I don't, uh, I, I maybe see one or two brothers there. And it's just one of, it's an illustration that changed my life. So I feel like sometimes I have to share these illustrations um, because I was actually in university. Well, I was in high school when 9-11 happened, but I was in university when this story happened, freshman in college. And, uh, and, and if you remember right after 9-11, there was the war in Iraq that was about to start for some of you kids. You like, you did not exist back then. That's totally okay. Just follow along with the story. And so when the war in Iraq was going to start and guys, this has nothing to do with politics. They're like, the world's doing its thing, right? All right. That happens. But there's this woman in Kentucky who's a follower of Jesus Christ. And anytime there's a war, what's going to happen? People are going to what? Die, right? That's what's going to happen in war and the world's warring all the time. So she knew people were going to die. So she said to her local church, she said, you know, I know people are going to be dying in Iraq and a lot of them don't know about Jesus Christ yet. So I've got to go. I've got to go let them know the gospel. I've got to go share with them. And this is a single woman. All right. Fairly young. Her name was Karen, Karen Watson. And so her church was like, you know, you know, the risk. And she's like, I know, but I've got to go. I've got to go let them know about Christ. And so she left, I believe, in 2002 to go minister in Iraq. And so she uh, when she left, though, she did something which was a little bit strange. She wrote a letter and when she wrote a letter, she sealed it in an envelope and she gave it to her pastor. And she said to him, she said, don't read the letter, put it away. But if you get word that I died, then you can pull that letter off the shelf and you can read it. So time went on, 2003, 2004, uh, 2004. And in 2004, she and three co-workers were going up to the northern part of Iraq to do, um, it, it was involving uh, kids and women, but also water project. And so they were heading up there. And as they went up there, um, there was an attack on the road or a roadside bomb. And the car blew up and three of the four died, including Karen Watson. Well, 
The phone rang in the pastor's office, and I don't know who it was informing. I think it was the International Mission Board as a Southern Baptist uh, worker. And uh, he called the pastor and he said, are you the, the pastor of Karen Watson? He said, I am. He said, well, I, I need to inform you that she's with the Lord and that she died. And it was like yesterday. And when he heard this news, of course, he's going to have to let the family know and, and all. But as he was mourning the loss of this dear woman, he remembered the letter. And he pulled the letter off the shelf or wherever he had it hidden. And he opened it and he started to read. And it says a lot of things. And you can find all the contents of the letter. It's posted online multiple places. But he came down to near the end of the letter and she said this. She said, my calling is to obedience. Suffering is expected. His glory is my reward. See, before she left... Like so many other workers before she died. Before she left, her life was Christ. And the same thing is true here in the United States. It might not be martyrdom, but it's still death of you. It's still no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. It's still a life where you're willing to put your reputation on the line. It's still a life where you're rather, you'd rather lose your job than not be faithful to the name of Jesus Christ. It's still a matter for us as, as younger people and in institutions of education to rather fail a class than pass the class and deny our Savior. You see, it's still the same thing. Are we looking to the Lord or are we looking to the lost? Because the thing is, we don't please both. What does it say in Matthew 6.24? You can't serve God and man, right? What does it say over in James chapter 4, verse 4? adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And he who makes himself, that's a choice. He who makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, what the world needs is not another person conforming to its pattern. What the world needs is not you. What the world needs is Christ in you. We need Edward Kimball's who weep over lost souls, who plead with lost souls who let them know they have a soul that's going to live forever. We don't preach the gospel because we have to. We preach the gospel because it's the only hope for our world. It changed our life. And it's the source that our hearts are looking for. Like Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God's placed eternity in our hearts that we might know the end from the beginning. And so again, this is the solution. But what do we have? We see that their focus is on God. Their focus is not on man. And then it goes on further, right? We see also their faith in God, right? And how do we see this faith in God come out? Well, keep on going in this passage. Uh, Pharaoh comes. He says, Why have you done this? Why have you let the male children live? And again, they stand up to him. They say, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now, I've, I've asked the question a lot, and I, I'm not sure of the answer, okay? So this is one of those things I'm just telling you straight out. I, I might be wrong. This is one of those things in Scripture. It's not very clear. Were they lying? Or were they bypassing the truth fully? Which is still kind of lying. Or were they telling the truth? Because here they are saying, these Egyptian women are so vigorous, they're just like, bam, the baby's out before we even get there. 
Now, I think of like Corey Ten Boom, right? And that whole story, if you don't know it, I'm not going to go into it right now. But when they hid the Jews in their home over in Holland and saying, you know, we don't have Jews here. Of course, they did have Jews there. And they end up going to the concentration camp where Betsy and her father died. Um, and Corey Ten Boom was miraculously let go. There are those stories. And, and the thing is, God is greater than us. And I'm so thankful for that, that he uses us in our weakness. He's not looking for our perfection. He's looking for our submission, our surrender. If he's looking for perfection, there's no one qualified. We're all out of a job in the economy of God. Praise God he's not looking for that. He's for you. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. He wants you. But what he wants is he wants you to surrender to him. You know, talking about surrender to him, it's, it's fascinating. In fact, I think I wrote it down here. I wasn't planning on sharing it. That's why I think I wrote it down here. Uh, but, yeah, you know, this, this week, uh, David and I, uh, I, I had a conversation with him because I, I read the news every morning, right? And, um, and I saw a, a link on this, uh, just, I don't know, in like the, the technology section of, of Google News. And, and it was this new app that's coming out. And the app is called Our Bible. Our Bible. Got that? Like, O-U-R, Our Bible. And you're like, okay, Our Bible sounds okay. No, you know what? It's, actually, it's interesting. There's a certain demographic, and I'm purposely not telling you who it is because I don't want you to think I'm targeting any one demographic in the United States right now because to me, these souls that are creating this Our Bible, you can look it up later, are a precious demographic that desperately needs the love of God. Okay, so I'm going to skip telling you who, which demographic it is. But it's this demographic, and, and basically their lifestyle um, goes directly against the Word of God. So they feel like uh, whenever they hear the word of God, that it's uh, it's convicting their their soul. And so they're like, oh, but we can't do that. So we need our Bible. We need our version of it. So basically what they're doing is they're creating an app where you can read the Bible without being convicted about that sin. Okay. And so this is what it's called. It's a digital space for this demographic of people to explore their own spiritual practice without having to surrender part of their identity. You see, you see that? That's where we're going. Like, in other words... I want to just stay who I am. I don't want the word of God to change me. But the problem is, is we can pick on someone else. But in reality, that's us. We don't we want to follow the word of God without surrendering our identity. Listen, what does this say in uh, for in the law of passages? We start in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me in the life I now live. I now live. I live by the power of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Or how about uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, right? Set your mind on Seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your mind on things above. Verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. And Christ who is your life, when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. In other words, I, if, if, if I'm living, if I'm making the decisions for myself, the world's not getting what it needs because the world does not need Nate Bramson. The world didn't need Edward Kimball. The world didn't need Dwight L. Moody. They needed Jesus Christ. And it was when those men, when these women surrendered themselves to the will of God, the world got what it needed. And that's something eternal. And so I just wonder when I see that their faith is in God, what are they doing here? They're not afraid of man's edicts. They're not afraid to confront uh, Pharaoh on this issue. You know, maybe they told the, Egypt, the Hebrew women, they're like, look, we're supposed to kill all baby boys. So just make it easy. If you know it's a boy, I don't know how they know in that day. Not exactly like ultrasound sonograms like we have now. But you know what? We're not, we won't come. Just have it. I don't know. God could have certainly made it miraculous. 
and literally let all boys be vigorously born, as it says. I don't know. But what I do know is God honored their boldness. And listen, you might not know how to go about your place of work. You might not know how to show God in the area he's called you to. Let me just let me encourage you with one thing. Err on the side of boldness. Err on the side of putting Jesus name out there. Like, just do it. Peter and John, remember when they stood to the Sanhedrin and they were like super bold? Do you know what their prayer was when they were released from prison? God, give us more boldness. Acts four and five. Check it out. Like, are we praying for that? God, more boldness, more boldness. I just believe that God is no man's debtor. And you've been called to an amazing harvest field. Yes, some plant. You might not. People that plant, they don't see it pop up. But they plant and they plant and they plant and they're bold and they're bold and they're bold. And some water and they're bold and they're bold and they're bold. And some bring in the harvest and they're bold and they're bold and they're bold. Just be bold. What are we fearing? Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear man who destroys your body, but God who destroys body and soul in hell. So again, we have Shipra and Pua, these two shining characters. And I like saying shining characters because Shipra means fair. But Pua, I like this, Pua. You know how you can translate Pua's name? I know Pua is not like a name you want to really name your daughter because it just doesn't sound good in English, right? Pua. But it's kind of neat. It means glitter. Glitter or splendid. Isn't that neat? Someone who shines. These ladies shine. But there's one final thing I want us to look at here. It's not just that they had their focus on God and their faith in God, but look at the favor they had from God, the favor they had from God. And how do we see this come out? Look down. It says verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives. And then verse 21. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Now, this is really neat because in that day, midwives usually had one characteristic that was similar for all of them. Okay, a couple characteristics. One is they were women. Two, they were barren. Midwives were almost always barren in that day. And the reason? Practical reason. If they were barren, they did not have children to take care of back at home. Therefore, if a woman was delivering in the middle of the night, you could call the midwife. Not the show. Just call the midwife and she comes No kids to take care of. She is on call all the time. But hold on a second. What do we know about those who are barren in Scripture? They were usually despised in some way. Not just that. They were regarded as cursed in the eyes of God. Now, God didn't say that. But in the eyes of Judaism, they were cursed. So imagine here are two precious women We have Miss Fair and Miss Glitter. And there they are looking at the Lord, trusting him, standing up to the most powerful man in the land. And the people look at them like they're cursed. Do you ever feel like even those of your own faith kind of look at you sometimes like you're missing it? Be faithful. Just be faithful. Don't go for the approval of people like me and the people even around you. Be go for the approval of the Lord Jesus. Be faithful. Just be faithful. That's all he asks of you. And you see, even though man thought them cursed, even though they probably considered themselves in some way as though they had done something wrong, I want you to see that they obeyed. We obey even when we don't know 
the why or the what or even sometimes the how it's going to turn out. But they obeyed. And then what does it say? God gave them families. Now, when I say there's favor from God, I'm not saying that when you are bold for God, it means everything's going to turn out easy right now. What I am saying is there will be an eternal dividend, an eternal reward. It's going to be worth it all. My mother is one of the greatest encouragers in my life. My mom and I have an incredible relationship. Like if there's anybody, my dad is right there with her, but if there's anybody that's pushing me on towards the finish line of my faith, it's my mom. I mean, years ago, and I won't go into the story, but years ago I asked my mother and my father to release me as their son because I believe that one day the final chapter would be that I'll give my life for the Lord. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I believe that way. I was studying the lives of the disciples. I was about to go preach at a conference on the lives of the 12 disciples in Pennsylvania, and, and I saw the 11 that remained. They all died violent deaths for Christ except for John who was boiled alive and then died of old age in exile in Patmos. And I was like, how can I call myself a disciple of Christ and not assume that that's the ending? And so I said to my mom and dad, I said, please, would you just release me as your son to go serve the Lord and eventually give my life for him? Please don't ever try to stop me from that. And both my mom and my dad, after a few weeks of praying about it, came to me with tears in their eyes separately and said, God gave us to you. God, God gave you to us in the first place. And the least we can do is fully give you back to him. And I'll tell you, there have been times when Al-Qaeda has attacked my neighborhood and I've had to go out in the middle of the attack and my parents on the other side of the world are leading prayer meetings. They're the calmest of everybody and I hear testimonies from other people that were there saying your parents just have full confidence that you're in the hands of the Lord and if it's time for you to go, it's time for you to go. That's my parents. But all that to say is this. My mother has a song she likes to write to me on letters and sometimes on emails. My mom writes me almost every single day. You might say that's weird. No, it's because she's pushing me on to the finish line. And one song she likes to put in these letters is this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. One look on his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely or gladly run the race till we see Christ. I just wonder, are, are, are we these kinds of people that are pushing each other on towards that finish line saying, no, don't slow down. Don't, 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 don't stop. Keep going. You're not there yet. Are you looking at Jesus face to face yet? No. Be faithful. Be like Shipra. Be like Pua. Be, be like Edward Kimball. God's given you a field. Be faithful. Be bold. Do the work that God's given you to do while it's still called day. Because soon the night is coming and soon your opportunity will be over. But you will receive favor from God. Because God's favor is ultimately on Jesus Christ. This is my well-beloved Son in whom... This is, my, this is my Son in whom I'm well-pleased at both His baptism, at the transfiguration. And if He's well-pleased in Him, well, I'm in Christ. And so there's that favor of letting Christ dwell in us richly, of letting Christ be the life that the world sees. But I want to close with one final thing. We've already talked about the fact that they're kind of discarded, Right? But you know what I find amazing about Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2 to verse 10? Like, that's the whole introduction to the book of Exodus, right? But here's the thing. Who was Pharaoh trying to kill? All the baby boys, right? I want to ask you, who are the five heroes of Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 10? Well, I'll name them for you, and you find the similarity. We've got a woman named Shipra. We have a woman named Pua. We have a woman named Jochebed. We have a woman named 
Miriam. And we have a woman named or called Pharaoh's daughter. Five heroes. And not one is a man. What I want you to see is the very ones that Pharaoh considered a threat. He overlooked all the that were the heroes in God's eyes in these chapters. See, you might feel forgotten by man. Your life might seem so incredibly insignificant in Pembroke Pines, in Florida, wherever you are. I'm serious. I mean, like, you might just be a little bit discouraged tonight. Like, what's my life even about? Like, is it of eternal value? How is God using me? What's there? Like, and listen, God does not gauge the value and the effectiveness on your life by how many people know what you're doing, how many Facebook likes you get, how many Instagram followers you have, how many people say, man, you did a good job. No. Faithfulness is about God getting the glory from the life and the opportunities He's given you today. So I wonder, does the harvest field where you're called to labor seem so small and of little worth? It is great if God is in it and He won't forsake His own. Little is much when God is in it. I leave you with these words and I just want to encourage you with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, and he says it after saying, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God might move you on from where you're at, but I'll tell you this much. He's going to start where you're at. And the first step is going to be faithfulness where you're at with the people in your life. It's not a jump from here. It's a step of faithfulness from today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. Thank you that it's true. And thank you for examples like Shifra and Pua that are so often discarded as just little characters that never appear again. But in the light of eternity, they were great because they feared their God. They faced their God. They had faith in their God. They received favor from their God. Oh, Lord. I pray that we would not look for the approval of man or even to be understood by men or, or to be applauded by men, but rather that we might be those men and women who only look to you and say, may God receive the glory because my calling is to obedience. Suffering is expected. His glory is my reward. End of story. Lord, use us. But at the same time, hide us that we might not be recognized, but that our Savior might be glorified. I pray this in the name above every name, the name at which anyone can be saved if they call on his name because he did it all for them on the cross of Calvary, paying for their sins. The name of Jesus Christ.